Last Friday afternoon, May 1st, at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, at the Whole Foods near Crystal Lake on Beacon and Walnut Street, I realized for the first time that I had a problem, that this pandemic had done some damage to me. And I realized that when I first walked into the Whole Foods, and it wasn't the mask that didn't bother me, it wasn't the gloves that didn't bother me, it wasn't the fact that everybody there was with masks and gloves, that's the new normal, I got that. It wasn't the six feet that you have to stand, it wasn't even the edge and the anxiety that's there. None of that bothered me. I realized I had a problem last Friday at 2 o'clock when I stood in front of the toilet paper at Whole Foods. One of the glories of Whole Foods at that location is that very often they have toilet paper available for purchase. And these are big packs of toilet paper, 16 rolls per package. And you can buy one, one per customer. I go shopping once a week on Thursday or Friday for Shabbos. And whenever they have it, I buy that package of toilet paper. So we have a lot of toilet paper. And on that particular day, I walk in and there's a whole stand, just like a whole stand, buy me, buy me, just one, but buy me, buy me, of toilet paper. And I stood there and I thought to myself, my rational self, I do not need another toilet paper. And then, deep within me, I don't even know where this came from. I'd never seen it before. It just welled up from me. Scarcity, scarcity. What if we run out of toilet paper? What if we don't have any more toilet paper? What if you can't get any more toilet paper in the entire city of Boston, or the entire Commonwealth of Massachusetts, or the entire world? What if, what if you can forestall that disaster if only you buy the toilet paper? So I bought it. And when I came home and started unpacking the groceries, my ever-rational and ever-wonderful wife, Shira, looks at me and she says, what's with the toilet paper? Why are you always buying so much toilet paper? And I thought about it for a minute, and I realized that I must have evidently internalized the trauma of this pandemic. I want to talk about something that I haven't talked about yet in this pandemic. I've delivered, I don't know, about a half a dozen sermons during and about the pandemic. But one word that I have never uttered but is real and needs to be thought about is the word trauma. Trauma is defined as a deeply distressing or deeply disturbing experience that leaves its mark, that leaves you wounded, that leaves you damaged. You experience deeply distressing. You experience deeply disturbing, and you're not the same in some way. That's trauma. And the COVID-19 virus and the pandemic and the lockdown surely qualify 
as trauma. It's traumatic to hear from our city's leaders and our Commonwealth's leaders, as we did yesterday, that we're about to head into a summer that is not summer. It's not a summer that any of us has ever experienced in our lifetime. There's going to be a summer without parades, a summer without the Boston Pops, a summer without fireworks, a summer without the Fourth of July celebrations, a summer that's not really summer. It's traumatic to hear the real economic pain, unemployment that is now rivaling the Great Depression. It is traumatic to read every day about the loss of life. It is traumatic to read every day about the struggles of healthcare workers and frontline workers. It is traumatic if you're a student and your school year just ended, boom, like that one unfine March day, boom, the world that you know you don't have anymore. The stuff you used to do you can't do, the friends you used to see you can't see. All the events you were counting on you can't count on, they're not happening. It's traumatic to have a May with no graduation. It's traumatic if you're a graduating senior and there's no closure, no commencement, no graduation, no flowers. It just ends. It's traumatic if you happen to be graduating college, if you happen to be graduating from graduate school and you're entering into this job market. That's traumatic. And we see different examples of trauma here all the time. It's traumatic if you lose your loved one during the season of COVID-19 and the funeral has to be fewer than 10 people and you don't have a real shiva, you don't have a real hug, you have a Zoom shiva, kind of an oxymoron, but it's all we got, it's the best we can do. It's traumatic that you can't come to the Gantt Chapel, the place that saves lives and souls, and say Kaddish for your loved one. That's traumatic. And if you are getting married, or we're planning on getting married this summer, it's traumatic that this most special day of your life got disrupted. And so here's the question I want to ask us to think about. What do we do with the trauma of this season? When we have internalized trauma, what do we do with it? And the Torah here has a very simple and powerful point. The trauma that you feel and the trauma that you carry can make you smaller. And the trauma that you feel and the trauma that you carry can make you bigger. And it's your choice. The trauma can make you smaller. When the Israelites get out of Egypt, they were tempted to hate on the Egyptians. So the Torah includes an actual verse. It's in Deuteronomy 23. I'm not making this up. I know they enslaved you for 430 years. Don't hate on the Egyptians. There's actually a mitzvah not to hate the Egyptians in Deuteronomy 23. Because it doesn't do anything to the Egyptians and it just corrodes your own soul. You hate on the Egyptians, you just got smaller. Instead, the Torah says, hey, since you were slaves... Why don't you have more compassion for people on the margins? If you can convert your pain into empathy, 
for others, convert your trauma into energy for others, well, that's going to make you bigger. Our trauma can make us smaller, our trauma can make us bigger. What is it doing to us in this season of trauma? One of the silver linings of this season is John Krasinski's Some Good News. And they're all wonderful, but the episode that just really hit home for me was episode number three. And Krasinski was talking about the fact that there's no baseball. And it's springtime. There should be baseball. We should be going to Fenway. We should be hopeful about the Red Sox season. We should be hearing the crack of the bat and the roar of the crowd, and none of that is happening. And Krasinski's question is, how does the loss of something that we love, how does that make us bigger, not smaller? So here's what he does in episode three. It's just fabulous. He invites five healthcare workers from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, all five who work on the COVID unit, and he invites them for a private duck tour. And they're, they're on one of these Boston duck boats, and they're all masked and talking about what it means to be a healthcare worker in this season. One woman shares that, you know, she is married, she does have a husband, she does have children, and she hasn't seen them in two months because she does not want to risk infecting them with COVID. And Krasinski says, oh my God, you know, not only do you treat COVID patients, you don't even see your own family because you treat COVID patients. And we just can never pay you back for that. And she says, she just shrugs this off. It was just the real deal. It was zero affect, zero pretense. The real deal, she just says, I'm just doing my job. And the duck boat takes these five healthcare workers in their masks and gloves to Fenway. And Fenway is absolutely deserted, but it's waiting for them. They literally own Fenway in that moment. They're the only people there. And they go to the pitcher's mound, and there on this big billboard, uh, you see Mayor Walsh applauding them. And then on this big billboard, you see the governor and his wife applauding them. And then on this big billboard, all of the Red Sox players and coaches appear, and they're all applauding them. And what Krasinski has done he has gotten David Ortiz, the Red Sox great, to come, and they present them with five lifetime passes, free passes to Fenway, small token of gratitude for your sacrifice. Go to Fenway forever when it opens for as long as you live. And of course, that's beautiful, but that's only five healthcare workers. What about all the other healthcare workers? That's what you're thinking in real time. That's five. They're amazing. There's no words. But what about all the healthcare workers? And so here's how the show ends. It's just unbelievable. Krasinski says he reached out to AT&T because he wanted to do something for all of the healthcare workers in America. And he asks, would AT&T offer all healthcare workers in America free cell phone service for one month? And AT&T says no, not for one month, for three months. And that's how the show ends. Now, the show's obviously heartwarming. It's inspiring. Who doesn't want 
five healthcare workers at the Deaconess to get a lifetime Fenway Pass, that's beautiful. And who doesn't want it, all the healthcare workers to get the gift of several months of free cell coverage? But I was watching the episode and I was trying to marinate on this question. What is the lesson of this heartwarming set of stories to all of us who are not John Krasinski, who don't own Fenway, who don't own the Red Sox, who are not AT&T, and who are not healthcare workers? What's the lesson of this story for us? And I think it has such an important lesson and connects directly and deeply to this question of does the trauma of this season make us smaller or bigger? Here's what it says. It says that in a pandemic, there is so much darkness. But in a pandemic, there is such an opportunity to be the light. And there is such an opportunity to bring the light. And you don't have to be the owner of the Red Sox or AT&T. And you don't even have to be a healthcare worker or frontline worker as important and heroic as they are. If you can figure out how to show up, show up every day with constancy, humility, decency, energy, and generosity, and if you can do that every day during a pandemic, you are bringing the light, you are the light, and the pandemic is making you officially bigger, much bigger than you ever were. And I want to just tell you the story of three people who are doing that every day. They are all connected to this synagogue. They are the only three people other than the clergy who are in this building every day, or every week. Two of them are David Beckman, who I'm looking at now, and his colleague Brian Lefsky. Now, David and Brian were just, in general, technology experts. They didn't have any particular expertise in live streaming. But then on the day of the lockdown, the synagogue needed expertise in live streaming. So they got smart really quick in live streaming. And because they got smart really quick, they converted general expertise in technology and comfort with it to how to live stream multiple services and classes every day. Because they did that, we didn't miss a single beat. And they give, they're always in the shadows. David has never seen, Brian's at home. And each of them, unseen, makes it possible for us to do what we do. If you watch any class, during the pandemic from Temple Emmanuel, it's because of David and Brian. If you've prayed a prayer, if you've sung a song, if you've engaged an idea, it's because of David and Brian. And I'm talking every day. It's not like on March 13th they had to turn it on. It's every day, multiple times a day. They even left their own homes, their own families, their own seders for the second night of Pesach. They gave up their second night Seder so that Michelle and Elias could do their second night thing, streaming out the Seder to everyone who is doing a Zoom Seder. If you like the second night Seder, of course it's Michelle and, Eliza and, uh, Michelle and, and Elias and their wonderful talent. But Michelle and Elias couldn't have done it without David and Brian. And they never get paid 
and they only do it as a labor of love. They bring the light. The pandemic has made them much bigger. And then there is the wonderful man named Zeriun, who is our custodian, our facilities cleaner during the pandemic. He's here multiple times a week. He cleans and wipes and disinfects. He's got on his mask. He's got on his gloves. And he always does it with a smile. And I was wondering, how do you put that together? Your job is to disinfect surfaces, to clean doorknobs, to clean anything that somebody with the virus could touch. Anything that might have the virus on it, Zerion cleans, and he's always cleaning it with a smile and with humility. And I asked him where he gets his strength to clean other people's surfaces. And it turns out that he belongs to a church, and he watches his own church's services. And he gets faith from that service so that he can be helpful and redemptive here in our community. The pandemic made him much bigger. So here's the deal. Life has handed us nine weeks of pandemic. And now we've got a choice. Does it make us, the trauma of this moment, real, deeply distressing stuff? Does it make us smaller or does it make us bigger? May we find our own way to show up every day with constancy, humility, decency, energy, and generosity. Turn on some other community's power. Light somebody else's light. Make some other place cleaner and lighter and brighter. And when you do that every day, and all of us can, the trauma will have made you bigger. Shabbat Shalom.